Welcome to you both, Serica from The Hood and Katie Ashby Copens. You're coming in from where, Katie? Uh, from Australia. I first heard about you as this legendary woman, this lawyer who was giving advice to Serica and helping get this almost impossible thing over the line, which you did so well in Wellington last week. Just give us a quick update to start, Serica, on what happened because there was a huge amount of interest in the case when it went in Wellington last week. Well, I guess, I mean, we spent the Monday and Tuesday last week, so 27th, 28th in um, Wellington, and um, it was very exciting. I have to say um, the first day, which was predominantly David, our QC, David Jones, um, presenting the case uh, and in which I knew I could expect great things from David, but I have to say he really blew us away and I know that he has a lot of fans out there nowadays, which we uh, tease him no end about because I think it's quite funny. But um, oh, no, he did amazing stuff. A doctor I know, an unmarried doctor I know rang and said, I think I'm in love with that lawyer in the case. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cool. I'm, we've got to pass that on, Katie. He was a year or so ahead of me at law school and I didn't remember him like that. He must, he must, have, he must have upped his game a lot. <laughs> Um, I think he's just so so um, articulate, um, relaxed, um, intelligent, articulate, um, but also humorous. Like in the right yeah. places. Like um, he's a, he's just a really genuine guy. And I have to say that one of the things that blew me away was to to be at that kind of level in your career, and to be so humble and to be, um, I guess, just so considerate of everybody else, but also considerate of their opinions. I mean, he was very open about um, taking on um, our feedback, using our feedback at times, which is like something that's pretty impressive, <laughs> to be honest, as a lay person. Um, but no, he was just such a neat um, person to work with. Um, and everyone was, Tom and Shelley equally, just um, such a neat group of people. Um, and of Katie, of course. Let's um, move on to that. You've given me personally the spiel about Katie, but describe for people who are watching this what Katie has meant in this case. And just briefly, oh, let's, summarize, let's summarize what the case is about if someone isn't aware, although you can go back on the Hood website and you can see exactly the progression. But just a little summary. And then what Katie's meant within this, Serica? Well, the summary basically is just, you know, obviously most people watching this know that we are trying to stop the 5 to 11-year-old um, age groups. Um, yeah, uh, I hesitate to say it, and I can't think of another way to say it, but vaccine rollout. Um, so the, the product that is, um, in, in our view, not been through enough um, stringent testing, et cetera, um, and has no evidence to say that is necessary for children of this age group. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an issue that was um, coming about very quickly after the adults, then the 12 to 15-year-olds were brought into that age group. And I guess I, I met Katie right at um, the 12 to 15-year-old, I think towards the end of that, when I started really wanting to go ahead legally. And I remember, I think you were in that meeting with the six lawyers, that first one. I think that was the first time I ever saw you, isn't it, Katie? So we, we sat around and had this sort of brainstorm with, um, I was the only non-lawyer in a group surrounded of lots of lawyers um, discussing whether we could go ahead with the, the 12 to 15-year-old um, age group because obviously we feel just as strongly about that. It's just, it's a different argument. Um, and, you know, the information is very similar to, to cover off all of the age groups for children. But Katie was, um, yeah, a force to be reckoned with from that moment really. Um, starting off um, just consulting, but then I feel like it's become a bit of a passion product, 
um, project for Katie and um, she's put an incredible amount of time and energy and effort into um, creating this case in which uh, everybody would acknowledge, including all the other lawyers, that couldn't have been done without Katie. So, um, yeah, her chronology, which was David's favourite piece of um, documentation at the end, I think, um, which is what he he used pretty much um, to refer to through the entire two days, or particularly the first day anyway, but he was constantly referring to the chron chronology. So that was all Katie, and um, so were hours and hours of blood, sweat and tears and and this particular case so I guess we've all had our roles but Katie's has been um crucial so it's high yeah. praise Katie that's the pre-publicity I got that they, it wouldn't have happened without you tell us why this matters so much to you because it's obviously more than just another professional job and and lawyers put everything into each professional job if they're good lawyers but it feels like this has got an edge for you am I right there oh absolutely um I'm on a sabbatical at the moment so um getting in and running a massive piece of litigation um, while I'm on a sabbatical uh, defeats the purpose of a sabbatical as I'm constantly reminded of um, by my honey. Um, but look, it's, um, it's just, it's really so important. Um, uh, we are got lots of nieces and nephews. Um, we're still practicing to become parents ourselves. Um, and we just, um, uh, and I just felt that this decision um, screamed uh, major issues. I mean, this is an entirely new product that's being, or new class of drug that's being rolled out um, to uh, a, a age group that can't make decisions necessary for themselves, but also aren't getting the right information. Their parents aren't getting the right information um, uh, for themselves. And it just, I, I've never been a crusader in these kinds of um, uh, environments before, but this one just uh, it, it, it has issues uh, from top to bottom, and the fact that uh, the decision was predetermined, the fact that the approval was based on a, um, a product or a product that had a different formulation. Um, a different formulation from the product that was ro rolled out and put into children's arms. That is that's yeah. horrific. It is. It really is. So the um, trial that was used um, to support the application was for a different formulation for what was ultimately used um, or approved, uh, provisionally consented to for the children. Um, so it just it, it just stunk all the way through. Um, and then to have what I can only describe as absolutely abhorrent advertising, um, uh, this product safe and effective. Uh, it's been through all its ordinary trials. Um, it's the same as any other childhood vaccine. Um, it's it's just lies. Um, and it's taken away a parent's opportunity to understand that this is a product that hasn't been through its ordinary trials. It's a product that's received provisional consent only, not full approval, because it hasn't been through all the trials. And... Um, the government is essentially taking away a parent's right to understand that a child that their child could be used as an experiment in an experiment. Well, they're outwardly actually denying it, aren't they? They've said it's not experimental, and and that latest um, little blurb out there about protecting a ch child for life or something—I can't even remember the exact phrase—but that was just diabolical. Yeah, and they've just approved boosters. They've <laughs> just approved you know, boosters. And then have you both seen in America, they're now rolling out children's songs saying, ouchie, fouchie or something, 
on the couchy and it's a little song where, you know, roll up your sleeves and get your jab and ouchy fouchy. It's, it's all very catchy. Elmo and and Big Bird have had their their jabs. So evil. So America is pushing on 100% with this and here in New Zealand, and it sounds like Katie in Australia now, is there a growing awareness as there has been an awareness growing in this country? Is that happening? Mm, Absolutely. And look, in Australia, it was absolutely, um, everything was happening very much at the same time. I think that uh, New Zealand even utilised documents from the uh, regist- uh, from the um, uh, pharmaceutical um, registry over here, which is the Therapeutics Good Administration. Um, they, um, yeah, it's very much the same. And we're running neck and neck in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we just got to get our hearing on before uh, we had a chance to get it on here in Australia. So, um, yeah, par- very, th- very much things are running in parallel. Um, you know, five to 11s are being um, uh, vaccinated, uh, not under mandates or anything. Parents still, um, uh, uh, you know, make that decision for their children. Um, but I just think that if parents knew exactly or knew more information, they'd think twice about doing it. And I just had lunch with my girlfriend the other day and um, she's got a five-year-old and, you know, she was just so happy to tell me that for her five-year-old's birthday, um, they'd got t- taken her down to the pharmacy for her jab. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> do, do, don't you just want to have a chat to me about what this case is about? And I've talked to you about it's a different formulation, not been trialled. And it's like this badge of honour. And I just think that there's enough noise out there right now that people um, don't have to look very far to find out more information. Um, it's just whether or not they choose to or not. And the advertising is, uh, I think, a big part of um, of how this has been promoted, and it's almost being it's being promoted by um, the government. Uh, so Pfizer doesn't need to say anything; it's got its sales reps in in the form of the um, uh, the government, which is rolling this out and telling everyone it's safe and effective. It is egregious, and I use my law degree. Katie, after I'd practiced, I used it to get into media. And I used to work in media next to the guy who every night is now on the news at six o'clock, who is also part of the pincer movement of misinformation. So we've got the advertisements all day, every day. And at nighttime on our news, we have these ghastly creatures that I used to work with who seem to have left all ethics at the door now, who simply tell the government's narrative, who simply spout propaganda, who ignore 62,000 injured in this country and who may want to have grandchildren one day themselves. I'm sure Simon's children are old enough too, who are not even thinking of the implications for the future of this country or Australia. So it's a real pincer movement that people are stuck in. I, on that note, I just want to put a, a real uh, call out to Kim Hill or anybody at Radio New Zealand or anybody with any courage left at TV One, both of, of, of which places I used to work, Please, if you have any journalistic integrity, would you interview both these women about this court case? Because it is seminal and it's so important that these issues are brought up. Let's move now to the court case itself. Katie, how did you feel it went last week? What was your your sense sitting in there? Uh, I think it went as best as it could have, uh, possibly a bit better than what um, I was expecting. Um, I have to be very... um, uh, honest, I don't, I don't, and I've never given us a huge uh, 
chance of um, uh, success, uh, but success comes in lots of different ways. And uh, success was getting information that we'd been asking for for a long time and being um, flicked off as um, annoyed uh, uh, departments would respond to our Official Information Act requests. Um, getting answers from um, the government where, you know, you've got uh, very key players that really refuse to acknowledge any concerns whatsoever, getting to put in front of them the evidence uh, that is mounting for the severe injuries to articulate for them what their own information says from the reports to come. And, you know, uh, that, that information is information that they get uh, work through, are aware of, they know there are deaths, um, they know that there are serious injuries, um, and it was um, an incredible opportunity just to be able to have the chance to get that information in front of these uh, people that are making decisions for um, our country. So um, I think that that is a success in itself, and at the end of the day, successful or not, we are on the public record for having bought this case. And it might not be um, this time round, but it might be that they start thinking a bit differently with the approval of the vaccine for the six months to five-year-olds, um, that they might just think that there is enough doubt and enough concern and no emergency um, that um, these products shouldn't be made available to uh, to these five to 11 year olds or six to 12 year olds or any healthy uh, person for that matter. Yes. Serica, of, of that information that Katie's referring to, what do you think most grabbed the, the people who were watching? Because there were a lot watching online, sharing online um, seats and, and watching where they could, the live um, casting from the courtroom. What do you think made the most impact in your gut of the information that was rolled out? Shocking um, people. I think, to be honest, how weak the Crown's argument was. Um, I think everybody kind of expects to have um, some really good, solid evidence and argument um, from the Crown because when you make a decision like that, that is, um, you know, going to affect an entire population of 5 to 11-year-olds at the moment and their futures, you expect to be delivered some really heavy-hitting um, research information and um, credible analysis. And I don't believe that that was there. And I think we were all sitting there curious because, um, um, you know, obviously, you know, the lawyers and whatnot might had a, had a look at some of their um their rebuttal, I guess, for their response um, and, their, and their documentation and being underwhelmed. But um, I guess on delivery, you thought, okay, well, somehow it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound better. It's going to, gonna to have more weight to it um, in, in court. And um, I just felt like, and I keep saying this, this is the only way that I feel I can actually um, express it myself. I just felt like it was just smoke and mirrors. There was just nothing actually really there um, that wasn't already being pumped out. Um, there was no new grunty evidence. Um, and uh, there was new evidence that we weren't privy to because obviously there were things that Pfizer um, allowed counsel to see that we didn't see and things like that, which always makes you curious. 
um, and there were things redacted and whatnot. But I think the thing that really probably is shocking is that they didn't provide answers to the questions that we actually had. So we were going into this with a whole lot of questions and very few of them were actually answered. And um, that is what blows me away, um, I guess, um, even right down to the, the crux of the, the finale, really, which comes down to the decision-making part of this, which is what was said in the four-hour meeting that suddenly changed um, uh, Mr. James, you know, director of MidSafe, what was in a four-hour meeting that was so gutsy um, that changed his mind from uh, a no, we don't, we don't um, want to roll this out or we think that this is... Um, we don't have enough evidence to roll this out in a four-hour meeting that Pfizer was in attendance of. Why did that? And I'll let Katie explain that a little bit more if if, if Can you be. take us into that a bit more? That's interesting. Can you take us into that, Katie? Yeah, absolutely. So with a judicial review, um, it's not um, a merits-based case. Um, so uh, the judicial review, we bring the case, and the case is really looking at the decision um, that was made of the uh, relevant minister or department, and then in this case we have uh, Chris James, uh, managing uh, sorry general manager of um, MedSafe, who approves uh, these medicines. Uh, he does that on the basis of a risk based uh, risk benefit assessment. Uh, they received Pfizer's application on the 4th of November, and it was further amended on the 12th of uh, November, and on or about the 10th of December, uh, MedSafe said that there wasn't enough information um, uh, to satisfy them to approve this product. Uh, perhaps it should be recommended off to another committee within MedSafe to review. And that committee reviewed exactly the same material as what MedSafe had reviewed to come up with its decision of no on the 10th of December. Uh, that committee met regarding two products um, which uh, were the new formulations um, of both the adult and the child's version. Um, and that uh, MAC, uh, which is the committee, uh, reviewed exactly the same information, had a brief meeting with Pfizer, didn't articulate or write down any of the reasons for the change, submitted um, their review um, and comments to Mr James that this product should be approved, and the next thing, Mr. James approves it on about the 16th of December. That so, sounds like some sinister American movie with these covert operators leaning on people who can't say no. It just it just reeks of question marks, doesn't it? It reeks of question marks. Absolutely. And it's the bureaucrats making the decision. And we've got a situation where we've got Mac and MedSafe that are meeting together. There's... Um, more degrees in a thermometer in that meeting uh, with all of the people there. We don't know who the people were that were there necessarily because the names have been redacted, but we do know that there were some pretty big heavy hitters. Uh, and they have this meeting. They don't articulate it um, in detail in any minutes to come up with the reasons why um, the risk-benefit analysis appears absent from the material that we have seen. Um, but we've got a no turning into a yes, and the yes is simply a circle on a piece of paper. Um, and, you know, this is five to 11-year-olds we're talking about. This is a new class of drug. It's not, say, it's not the same as old-fashioned vaccines where you can um, know how things are going to behave and react to some extent. This is entirely new class, and it's been whipped through um, 
uh, under, yeah, it, it's just been whipped through. It really has. And it wasn't a case that we had to, they had to wait long for Pfizer to provide the further um, medical information, which was the subject to the conditions on which the provisional consent was made. They didn't have to wait long. There was no reason to not wait a couple of extra months. Um, children were going to get um, uh, COVID. Uh, I, I, in fact, I think I heard the other day for most of the schools that they think that the schools are about 75% um, of the kids have had COVID already. So, um, you know, it was it was going to happen. We And they just wanted it pushed through and pushed through at such a rate and just didn't wait. Um, but they didn't. They didn't record any new evidence provided either. That that's the thing that blows me away. Is that the, that in sort of a, a meeting with very little minutes and, and expression of why this changed a mind and no new evidence provided. How do you change a decision? This is the thing when I say that we didn't have answers to a lot of our questions and we're still left kind of shaking our heads in wonderment. Is you're still left with but but why and how like. So um, in it, court, it, was that not inquired into? Did the judge not pin them down and say, give us information about that meeting? You've got to be more transparent. They had given us all of the minutes of those meetings, uh, of that meeting. But redacted. Were they, uh, was some... just, just the names and a few other sort of pieces of information. I, it, it's really just an obfuscation of responsibility um, by James to hive it off to Mac the committee that ultimately said yes. So he could turn around and said, say, oh, well, the MAC committee said yes, so um, it was only right for me to say yes. My goodness. And MAC is what, MedSafe Advisory Committee? Is that it? Yes. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's this passing of the buck all the way, isn't it? Passing of the responsibility. Did you, I'm surprised, Katie, that you're as um tentative about your optimism as I picked up earlier you said we may not succeed did you feel that the judge felt a sort of visceral shock at the poor standards the the poor due diligence that was being done on this did you get any sense of reaction from the judge good question uh look we had a judge change late on Thursday so this was the weekend before uh, the, the week before uh, Madaraki, uh, Madariki weekend and we had a change last minute um, from the morning we had the judge we were always um, expecting to have, and then in the afternoon we just had a new judge. And so we've that got was Justice um, Gwynne to to Justice Gendel. Gendel, that seems very odd. Was what was the reason given for that? None whatsoever. We never got to the bottom of it, and um, I was quite concerned about it. Um, uh, for I was quite concerned the late change. Uh, no notification and um, a, a, and who we were changing to. But in hindsight and with the experience of the hearing and having had the interim hearing back with Alice, uh, Justice Alice in January, um, we certainly got, I believe, the best judge to hear our case. I think one of um, uh, the girls messaged when, they, when Justice um, Gendel said that he hadn't appreciated that uh, the vaccine um, was a different type of um, uh, different class of vaccine now uh, and everyone was uh, writing messaging saying I'm aghast I don't understand that you know he can he could not realize that but to me that was fantastic because we get a blank canvas and he was across so many things he was across the Swedish 
approach to managing um, COVID uh, from a public health perspective. And he was attentive the whole time. He gave us the same respect as he gave the Crown. Um, very different situation to what we had when we had um, Justice Ellis in the January interim hearing, um, where we just heard that, you know, the parents were anti-vaxxers and, um, you know, I don't even think that she had had a chance to read all of the material that we submitted in support of that case. But um, Judge uh, Gendor has said, you know, he wants to review everything. He's got thousands of pages he needs to review, but he gave us the sets an impression that even though he'd come on late to the case um, in the afternoon and had really only had a chance to read the respective parties' submissions, he was very uh, interested to read further and um, and to learn more about this. And so while he might not be making a decision on the, uh, the merits and things like that, he'll be looking at the risk-benefit um, analysis that was adopted uh, and then the rules around the Medicines Act, uh, which uh, the spotlight is on. So, oh, sorry, sorry, Erica. Yeah, I was just going to say about just an observation from a, a, a layperson's um, perspective as well, is that I was really impressed that he um, he would really take the time to ask David questions and make sure that he understood clearly what was being presented. Um, and he did that multiple times. And he also seemed very... Um, unruffled um, and unimpressed by any sort of um, legal game playing in the sense that he was not at all, um, you know, fooled by our experts being kind of downplayed. Um, you know, he, he, he respected Dr. Malone's um, uh, credentials and his experience. He also, um, you know, saw past that, yes, okay, Dr. Gert Vandenbosch may be a vet, but like he has an awful lot of other credentials after that um and I really enjoyed the fact that he was not really going to be pushed around in terms of like yeah okay can we stop playing these games can we get on with this um and I really I found that really reassuring um that he was genuinely interested in really truly getting down to the nitty-gritty of what the argument actually was um and I think it would be very easy for a judge not to and the fact that he really has expressed quite an interest in it and a desire to understand regardless of whatever the, um, the outcome is, I, I do believe that he, he appears to be giving it a really fair um, appraisal. He will be an absolute hero if he, if he can remain neutral in a climate where, as someone legally trained, I have been despairing, Katie, because some of the judgments we've had have made zero sense, apart from the one that the people in the street take, which is are uh, the courts being lent on by a corrupting government? And that I just put as a question. We don't know, we can't know, but it is what the people are saying. And the government and the judiciary need to be aware of that. You know, people talk in this country and we share notes. So you can't get away with it in a small country of 5 million. Um, so let's hope that he is neutral and fastidious and ethical beyond belief, which all judges are meant to be. And he will be a hero if he keeps to those three standards, so gold standards. Having said all of that, Katie, back to my question, why your tentative sort of uh, tone of, I hope that, that we could get somewhere here, but if we don't, we have had other wins from doing this case. Why tentative? Uh, we, 
any advice that I would give at the moment has to be in the context of what you were just alluding to, which is we've got an environment where um, the judiciary believes what they are told, that um, they very much have made their choices uh, in respect to you um, being vaccinated, probably to continue uh, to do their job or because they themselves believe um, what they are told. And I think that that is a terribly important environment um, in which context needs to be given uh, for what the deciders or what the decision makers are working within. And everybody's got a view about COVID. Everybody's got a view about the public health measures and everybody's got um, a view about uh, being vaccinated or not. And, um, uh, and, and I'm sure you've seen it too, Liz. There are so even few lawyers out there that have taken a particular position or perceived this um, uh, to be a loss of uh, our rights. Um, all my girlfriends, for example, that I've practiced with, they're on the total bandwagon about um, the recent abortion decision in Australia, uh, in America. Um, but I'm just saying to them that bodily autonomy was stripped um, as soon as the vaccine came about with COVID. So, um, you know, uh, wake up. Um, it's an unassailable but, point. And, and yet people just look blankly. They can't seem to put those two parts together. I, I know that in New Zealand, the New Zealand Law Society was, uh, just as the Medical Council has been um, subverted to the government narrative, I'll call it, which is a lovely way of saying something else. But they've been leaning on lawyers. It's horrifying how few lawyers have come forward. As more and more injury cases show up in this country, they will need to really turn a large part of their practices to helping the injured. That's my belief. That's my prediction. So they're going to have to wake up. Well, the injuries are coming. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say the family court is probably one of the most shocking ones that I've actually found in, in this sense of buying into all of this and being so incredibly bound by the government decision. Um, because I know up in Auckland, for example, I've been working and advocating for lots of people, and they it was actually the judges that got together in Auckland that stated that unvaccinated people would not um, be allowed into the courtroom. It wasn't an overriding law anywhere. It was the judges who got together to make that decision because you could go into other courtrooms in different parts of the country. So I you're already... did not know that, Serica. That is yeah. absolutely runs counter to justice for all. Well, it doesn't really put you in a, a great standing when you take a case that's anti that position. I don't, shouldn't use the word anti. God, you go into like too many um, pigeonholed responses there. But, you know, it, it, immediately you're on the back foot, aren't you? If you're going into a situation and you've got to be on a Zoom call or whatever because you're basically stating it, you, you are forced to state that you have made a decision not to take a medical product. I mean, the whole thing is just backward in, in so many different ways and I think the thing is is that you talk about that blindness Katie in terms of um, the hypocrisy really and people just not connecting the dots and the other thing that's been sort of blowing me away is this week um, this past week with the Pfizer being in the in the media again about the blood pressure medication and then literally publishing and stuff that there are more questions than there are answers. And that's a statement that I, I almost can verbatim read because it kept going through my head because I'm like, yeah, but we've been saying that for months, you know? And and then, you know, somebody else said, you know, it feels like we're being told half-truths and I'm sitting there going, but we've been saying that for months. 
and it just feels like finally there are other things coming out. And I know Chantal Baker did a, a stream of all of the things, all of the cases in which Pfizer has actually been brought up under judiciary. I heard um, about that. I heard it's very good. I've asked someone to send me that. Mm. It's really good because she just lists them all, you know, and, and quantity of money and whatnot that they've had to pay out for all of these cases. And we know about them. But the thing is, is it's not being publicised. Nobody's ever stopped and thought, all oh, these these companies have paid out billions of dollars in lawsuits. There's no surprise we're sitting in another lawsuit right now. But the thing is, is that, you know, like Katie said, we haven't lost regardless of what happens because the awareness is getting out there. And the fact that we are actually taking, you know, forcing our government to become accountable for those decisions that they made and to trust companies that aren't, do not have a great history um, in not terms a great history. They are the most criminal big pharmaceutical organization. They have had the biggest award ever in the history of awards against pharmaceutical companies. And people need to research that. If you could send me that, that would be great. I'll add it underneath. Yes, Chantelle's. Just getting back, Katie, to our law school days, I imagine you, like me, were also taught about constitutional law and that the judicial arm in the end is there partly to keep the executive arm, the politicians, honest. We need this in this country, and I imagine in Australia, more than we have ever needed that constitutional protection. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I recall when we were going, th when I was going through law school, um, that I could uh, never quite understand the position, which was, um, oh, our Bill of Rights, it's an act, but it's not yet a constitutional document. But don't worry, the government's never going to do anything that goes against the Bill of Rights mm. uh, Act. And I just, that replays in my head while I was sitting down in my public law B lecture. Um, and I just think to myself, goodness gracious, um, I was involved in the midwives case as well. And, um, you know, constitutionally it reeked. And um, we still had, you know, the son of the uh, judge that wrote the book on, um, on Bill of Rights Act and how important it was as a constitutional document, albeit hadn't been properly um, seeded as such. And we've got to making decisions against the very core of what the Bill of Rights Act is about. So no. I, I think a constitution is 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 certainly necessary. Um, the sovereignty of the courts uh, and and the division of power, I think, is is really important. Um, there's certainly um, tensions within uh, the courts at the moment uh, with a recent. Um, uh, suggestion that some things need to be investigated as to the separation of powers and and, and undue pressures being put on. Um, I'm not going to say that we have have that in this case. I really do think we've got the best judge uh, for our case, and he's um, uh, yeah. It, it, I, I felt that we all received the respect that um, uh, everybody deserved, which had we'd all worked so hard to get there. We'd all put our best case, and the Crown did too. Um, our, I think our experience of David Jones or his experience um, certainly outweighed the performance um, uh, for for the hearing, and he was an absolute joy and pleasure to watch. Um, he, um, it was he exhilarating. Said, <laughs> he said something interesting too, Katie, and it was just touching on the the outcome. Um, and it was something that I hadn't really thought of. I knew that everything would be made public record, but the comments of the judge in the ruling can be just as powerful as a win or a lose. 
And that was a really interesting point to, um, because it was not something that I kind of had thought of, but makes total sense. Um, and with some of the ex experience that I've had in other legal matters before, that 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 commentary, that um, um, comment for public re record is pretty powerful. And some of the things that he seems to be taking on board that may be in that ruling, um, that could be quite powerful too, couldn't it, Katie? Mm. Absolutely. I think we call that obiter. Um, obiter dicta, and, yes. Yeah. And so he would then be able to, you know, we can then quote him left, right and centre if he says if he says some good things. Um, and look, I know a lot of family court cases are waiting for um, the outcome of this case. Uh, and there's some rather odd things that are happening in the family court environment where, you know, the court itself is um, uh, looking to put on expert evidence because there's no counter evidence that's been put on and um, I just hope that uh, certainly the family court has the ability to um, have some good references for future cases um, uh, that are bought because there are a lot of um, uh, vaccine cases and applications being bought in the family court and it is down to the family court judge uh, at the end of the day but there does need to be some good decisions out there um, that mean that there is equal consideration given to both sides of whether or not this um, product should be administered to children. And look, I'm sure if the judges uh, in the same way received full informed consent about the nature of these products being a new class of drug, it, it's not, um, it, it is different. And you know, just quite where it is up to in the stage of um, the trials and testing and reports. I suspect that those judges too would be really thinking hard about whether or not they would be making decisions um, that could put these children in jeopardy. Um, and it was incredible that we had the situation on um, Tuesday of the hearing where, um, you know, it's, we've, it's thrust down our throats that it's safe and effective, it's safe and effective. And then, um, you know, we get this almost turnabout on Tuesday, which was, oh, every drug comes with its risks. Oh, and I'm like, well, line. it's not bloody safe then, is it? <laughs> that line is so cynical. That line is so cynical. A doctor told somebody I was interviewing, thank you for taking one for the team, and in a jab injured person. That thinking, that warped thinking has penetrated into the medical professionals who are short-selling these injured people who are so traumatized. It's unforgivable. No, it is not okay. We used to stop at 50. They, they, they stopped the rollout of the last SARS vaccine because 50 got injured. And we're now at 62,000. That is not okay. That is think, just not okay. I think there's other forms of injury that we're not addressing as well. Um, and it's, it's the psychological injury and the injury that's happening within the family courts. And again, I keep coming back to this because of the fact that I'm in contact with so many people in it. And um, one of the things that I hope that comes from this ruling, regard regardless of, of whether it is a hard win-lose situation, is that, um, is that information that it is a valid argument because people are actually having their children removed from their care over this because they are considered so far out and so down the, the, the rabbit hole um, that they are actually being kept from their children over a decision 
to take a product or not. Now that in itself is an injury. That's an injury to the relationship between a parent and their children and vice versa. And I'm not going to compare that to a physical injury, but that is actually like absolutely heartbreaking. I was talking to somebody yesterday and, and just got off the phone and I could not, I couldn't shake it. This situation where a parent is kept from their children with no justification. I was like, but why? What is the argument that they're making? What is that? I don't understand how they could do that. And it's basically because you're considered a freak because you're going against, you know, this. And, and to have this case out there that has legal credibility and acknowledged by a judge as having legal credibility, win or lose, that to me has some power in it. I hope. I am not a lawyer, so I'm 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 purely stating this from somebody who's watching horrible stuff happen and I just I want to help somehow. What do you think, Katie? I think it can help if he if he gives those comments even if he says I'm constrained within certain parameters, but if I were not constrained, I would think this. That could be very powerful. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think so many people are looking uh, towards the case for uh, for that, and certainly we are too, because there could be a lot of vindication in those comments. Um, so it is it's it is a strange case because you know it, we put forward expert evidence that expert evidence is contrary to the evidence of the um, uh, witnesses that the Crown rolled out, uh, and there is a lot of different view and consenting positions on on this it's it, it really is a chance to get the information before those people that are making the decisions so that in itself could be a win because they may just choose not to approve the five to the six months to five year old product um, with the information that's been put forward I doubt it but you know, there could be enough doubt that is put in their minds that perhaps this is not needed. I think there's a step before that that Sarah identifies, which is you make more people in the public arena aware of the issues. They then put pressure on the politicians who will always crumple and crumble when enough of us stand up and say we're not okay with it. So it's educating. We, the, the people of New Zealand, need to be educated. We win if the uptake is low. You know, we, we we win if 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 people don't go out and get it, regardless. So, Katie, um, what are you a Kiwi originally? Are mm. you, yes, yes you are. I'm just I'm I'm exiled. All right, okay. <laughs> I was just thinking. I think we've lost a great resource here. I was just imagining you and years to come on the bench, dispensing real justice in real courts of law when we've recovered them. Oh, Judge um, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing over there? Are you are you now working on a similar case in Australia? Mm. Mm. Uh, so part and parcel of meeting some of the amazing souls that I have on this um, journey and interviewing all of these experts and uh, meeting with them and um, uh, uh, directing them to produce these fabulous reports that they've um, uh, done uh, for our case. In New Zealand, I came across the Australian um, contingent. And so in Australia, the group here bought uh, an application for judicial review of the five to 11 year old decision. And then similarly, uh, a separate action, which was to require the um, decision maker who approved the product in Australia to reconsider his decision in light of uh, 
huge fatalities, massive injuries, and, you know, the fact that the product's ineffective. Um, and uh, as a result, uh, I got brought on board in Australia to um, be instructing solicitor on that case uh, when uh, one of the other instructing solicitors took um, paternity leave. So um, unintentionally ended up running the uh, Australian case, uh, which is in the federal court, uh, and uh, being involved a lot more than what I had originally been told I would be, uh, because we have um, had a few barriers and blockades put up uh, in front of uh, us in the Australian case, such that uh, the judicial review for the 5 to 11-year-olds here in Australia was to be heard on the 20th of April, uh, but there was um, a decision before that to find that the applicant uh, didn't have standing, so didn't have the power or the ability or a right to bring this case. So we're currently appealing that decision My to the God. full bench of so the federal each, court. Even to get in there, you have to go through a process of appeal. What on earth was the reasoning that you didn't have locus standing? What, what was that? Uh, uh, there was a couple of uh, different uh, reasons, but first and foremost, the AVN, which is the applicant in that case, is the um, was bringing the cases and there was a finding that because of um, it's uh, that, that it wasn't the foremost uh, anti-vaccination body in Australia and therefore it wasn't entitled to bring this action and actually had no um, loss or if it was to succeed in bringing this application. So it's... That's the Australian it's, it's, Vaccine it's, Network, is it? The Australian mm. Vaccine Network. Oh, my God. Uh, Australian vac Vaccine Risk Network. Yes. Mm. So, yes, that was a, a very surprising decision. There's a few other nuances in there, but the other one, which was interesting, because at the same time they sought um, uh, the opportunity to join a foster father from um, Adelaide so that if the AVN didn't have standing, then a foster father who's lost his job as a consequence of the mandates and has a foster child which has been directed to be vaccinated um, by the um, state and he didn't have standing either. So um, really quite incredible. Um, that's uh, under appeal. We'll hopefully have that hearing in early August. I ask that because it's important for Kiwis to realise what battlers you both have to be to get where you've got in New Zealand, the number of hills you've had to climb. And here you are, Katie, now turning around and climbing another series of Himalayas over there in Australia on behalf of this issue that matters so much to you. You'd give up all your sabbatical, your time, your, your energy into it. I really want to commend you both. Serica, do we need more funds so we can pay for the quality of a Katie on this, on this case? And if so... Do we just need to put a message on that? We do. It's usually Katie in my ear about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also and Nicola as well, because Nicola's the accountant. And so, yeah, it's usually yeah. them going, um, don't forget to mention. No, um, we, we do, because the thing is, is that, um, and I've, see, I've said this before, but um, the weight of the case that, that we brought forward was um, absolutely huge. And the power and evidence that was brought um, forward by those um, experts and and the incredible legal team that we had and whatnot, it just wouldn't have happened, um, you know, if, if we didn't have have some funding to do that. Um, you just cannot expect the, the thousands of hours of work 
um, and and weeks of report writing and and reading and like I just I gained so much more respect to be honest um, watching the the suitcases of paperwork come into the high court um, and and we did have a giggle as we saw the um, crown come in because we thought it was another three that had gone in prior. And then we saw the three with the big trundle cases of suit and we went, oh, no, that's them there. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was very evident the amount of work that had um, had gone into it just in literal paper sense um, and the printing and just, I'm not saying that printing costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, but um, it did really actually put it into context for me as well, um, the amount of brain work um, and physical work that's gone into this. So, no, we haven't paid all of our bills yet. Um, we have gotten a long way and through everybody's help, we've managed to get to court, which was the first hurdle. So that was amazing. Um, now we just need to finish off because obviously we had replies to the Crown. We had um, lots of different um, last minute hustle to do this, that and the other thing. So um, yeah, it's it's not a cheap um, uh, exercise to go to high court. And um, But we did it on what I would consider a shoestring. Um, I think with Katie's help um, in the the epic work that she put in um, and the voluntary status of um, everybody else in the hood, um, you know, we've managed to pull this off with actually remarkable, um, remarkably low funds. I know that the, the case in Australia is like at least three times what we, we are actually, um, wow. you know, wow. funding. So, yeah, we do. I, I would endorse that. Please, if you can spare $5, $10, $100, $500, put in what you can. We'll put the uh, link to the hood and there you can make your donations. We'll put that at the end of this. And Katie, I just um, salute you. Thank you for coming on and sharing how important this case is. Salute you for being a part of this and doing it in Australia. And I look forward very much to a an absolutely positive result. I'm allowed to say that. You two can't, but I can. I can. And that this, this justice comes through. Uh, and does the right thing on the basis of the evidence, which is that there was really a lack of evidence for the rollout for these uh, future generation of children. Thank you both so much for talking today. Thanks, Liz. Cheers. Thank you.